Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. So this year we are doing uh, a series the whole year about the inward journey, the upward journey, and the outward journey. And so it's split into three, and so this first third of the year, we've been talking about the inward journey, just about what it takes for us to really connect with God, and how, you know, things that are in our life that may be blocking us from receiving from Him, and and so we've had some really good um, teaching so far. Last week, merely shared on practical tips of just how to get set free from stuff in your life, and for me, um, I've really benefited from New Day's Healing and Restoration Team. And so when we were planning this year's teaching, um, this topic came up that we needed to talk about things that would um, affect your inward journey. And I was like, man, I want to talk about honor and shame. And then I was like, oh, I want to talk about honor and shame. (laughs) But yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm talking about honor and shame today. And so some of the practical tips that um, Marilee shared last week, um, we have a handout uh, again on shame Uh, fear and control, and I'll explain that a little bit later, but behind that banner, or in front of the banner, actually, there's a little table, there's a handout, and it's a practical guide that you can take with you, and you can use this, you can pray through um, situations in your life, and you can see freedom, and so um, I want to just tell you that, and worship today was amazing, Um, it kind of previewed the entire message, I love when the Holy Spirit does that, you know, he's like, how about I just give him a little preview of what you're going to talk about, so that's great, so I like to start out um, when I teach on um, definitions, because I want to know what it is that we're talking about. And honor, lots of people think, oh yeah, I know what honor is, but in the Bible, honor can be translated in lots of ways, because there's the Greek and the Hebrew, and it's used in many facets. Um, And then it all comes back in English, it's just the word honor. So in the Bible, honor can be to glorify, to esteem, It means something that's costly or prized. There's a weightiness to it. It's valuable and precious. Um, But I also want to know what, in English, what we understand it to mean. And, And Webster says that honor can be a noun or a verb. And noun um, means high respect or esteem, a privilege. Where the verb means to regard with great respect. And yesterday, I I was at a memorial service for my aunt. And it was interesting, because while we were there, I realized that really what we were doing is we were honoring her, who she was, um, the things that she did in her life. And because I knew her, and I had a relationship with her, um, I, you know, I, I shared a couple of things that I remembered about her. And what I was doing was um, kind of allowing people in to be intimate with us about my aunt, about what she was like and who she was. And, and, and um, it, it was about our relationship and that a relationship that knows one another, and that there was a lot of honor yesterday, and, and that was a really good thing. Now, the opposite of that would be shame. And shame in the Bible can, can mean a disgrace, a disappointment, dishonor. It also means confusion and reproach. And when I, when I read that about confusion, I was like, yeah, because sometimes when you're in the midst of something that you feel a lot of shame, you feel a lot of confusion. You're not sure, like, 
what you're supposed to be feeling, and it can bring a lot of confusion. The um, Webster's Dictionary says that it is a noun, and it is a painful feeling from something done by oneself or by another. So it's definitely a feeling. It is something that you, you carry. Um, it's also a condition of humiliating disgrace. So once again, it's something that you're carrying. And shame likes to hide. It doesn't like to be known. Um, it can be a feeling of inadequacy, um, a feeling of exposure. Um, it doesn't want intimacy. It, it doesn't want anyone to know about it, whereas honor, you, there's a revealing. Uh, shame doesn't have that. Shame wants to stay hidden. Um, and regret. That was the other thing that Webster said, is that shame can be a regret. Now, there is a, there is a difference between guilt and shame. And um, this is really important for today. Now, whether you change your vernacular when you go out and you, you use guilt instead of shame or you say shame in place of guilt, you know, that's not, I'm not going to, we're not splitting hairs. I just want to make a distinction between guilt being I have done something wrong. So guilt is a, you can, you can um, actually make a judgment out about a behavior. And it can be a right behavior, and you still feel guilty about it. Like you could have done something. Has anybody done that? You've done the right thing, but you still feel bad about it? Okay. But shame is a feeling about something. So it's something that you take on. It's not, it's, I did something wrong. I am wrong. Okay, so shame is, is, it really ties into your identity. It says that I am bad. What I did was bad, but no, I am bad. And um, guilt is a good thing. It is something that's there because it's a warning system built into you in your, in your subconscious and, and from God to say relationship is in danger. A sin happened. There was a breach we need to repair this. Whether that relationship is with, between you and God, between you and another person, or maybe it's just yourself. Like you've set up to do something and you've you know, done something and, it, and there's a breach and you need to repair that. Guilt is the warning system that says, hey, there's a problem. Let's fix this. Shame on the other. And, and we need to remember that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, it's about what we've done. God says what we've done, sin is wrong, and he wants us to fix that. Shame, however, wants to say who you are is wrong and wants you to stay separated from whatever relationship you're in. So if it's between you and God and you sin, shame wants to drive you away and isolate you from God. If it's between you and another person, same thing. It wants to isolate you. It wants to keep you alone. It wants you to um, not fix that breach. Um, for today. This is what, you know, this is how I'm going to distinguish the two. So, um, and shame also says, like, when you're in the midst of that, you're, they, it, it'll say, you're not worth this relationship. You're not worth having a relationship with, with God. Um, how could God love you? Look at what you've done, you know. Um, with others, it will be, you don't belong. You're not worthy. Um, with yourself, you can even be saying it to yourself. You're saying, I'm not good as I don't do this as well as, and you're kind of heaping shame on, on yourself. So, well, let's find out where the root comes from. Well, the root comes from 
Genesis. Well, not Genesis, but it happened in the garden. And um, what's interesting is I read a, I read a um, it was a blog, I think, or I can't remember. I read a lot of things about this. But in Genesis 2.25, um, in the garden, God had made man and woman. And he said, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So there was nothing wrong with being naked standing in the garden. And then we know the story, the serpent comes and tempts them to eat of the fruit, <clears throat> and they eat the fruit, and if immediately they feel bad, and instead of running to God and saying, oh, God, forget, look, what, do, what am I going to do? They hide. Okay, so there's, so when I talk about, in, in our church, we talk about healing restoration, we talk about a shame-fear control cycle. So first comes the shame, <gasps> I've done something wrong, fear what am I going to do? Control. Let's fix it. Let's hide. So they go hiding. <clears throat> and they're, um, they're hiding. And when God finally gets them out and confronts them, they do more trying to control the situation. No, she did it. And she says, no, he did it. No, let's, let's, you know, anything to get away from this situation. We're trying to control it. So that's where shame, fear, and control um, began. Now, um, what's interesting is I, I, the, comment, the commentator I was reading said, now we know that they ate of the fruit and they had knowledge. And so, you know, don't crucify me for my, maybe it's an off theology here, but he says, God says to them, who told you you were naked? Now, just go with me for a second here. If the enemy comes and says, hey, do this, hey, do this thing, let's eat this fruit. Let's try that. And they eat it, and suddenly they're like, oh, my gosh, I know stuff. I'm just betting the enemy's going, yeah, and you're naked too. Look at you should be ashamed and pointed out what, what their state was. Now, God created them naked, and he said there was no shame. So, so this commentator and I kind of think, wow, that's pretty interesting. The enemy brought that in, said, oh, you should be ashamed of that. And, and what is God's response? I know they left the garden, and they left the garden for good reason because they didn't want to eat from the tree of life and be set in that state of always being in uh, the state of being in a sinful state forever. But he immediately killed some animals and covered them so their shame wouldn't be exposed. He covered them because he didn't want to leave them in this place where they would experience shame over and over and over again. Um, and I just think that's a cool thing. Okay, so sin. So sin, sin is where it starts. Um, but in Proverbs 14, 34, it says, Godliness makes a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So we know sin is bad. It's not a right thing. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. We all fall short. Sin is something we do. When we take on shame, we add to that, okay? So, so there is, we're taking on an identity. We're taking on something that we were never meant to take on. And, and it's not just us that feel this way, but Satan's right there to tell us that we've sinned. In Revelations 12.10, it says, The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. He's up there throwing out accusations all the time, day and night, 
saying, We've, we're bad, we're not worthy, we're whatever. He, he's doing that. And he does it in our ear, too. I mean, we, I believe he whispers in our ears dark thoughts and tries to convince us to have a separation between ourselves and God. During worship tonight, or today, um, the one line in the, in the song said, he's whispered lies and led us off as slaves. His goal is to separate us from God. When he speaks those lies, he's really trying to bring a disconnect between us and our maker. The other thing that can happen is we can believe something that isn't true about us. And it a lot of times takes on the form of someone saying something. So it comes from um, somebody telling, telling you something or something that you've done wrong or whatever. And in our church, we call this an ungodly belief. It's something that you believe about yourself that is not what God would say, okay? Um, you say, I'm worthless. Well, God says you were bought for, with a price, you know, so you're not worthless. You say, um, I, you know, I, I'm not worthy of God's love. Well, he created you. He made you. He loves you. Of course you are. So some of those, so those things are lies, and a lot of times we can find those lies coming at us from one of the major or one of one of the sources there's a lot of sources that we can start to believe these lies one um, big one is a uh, abuse we can somebody who's been physically emotionally verbally sexually abused can start to believe lies about themselves that aren't true about that are, are contr- yes <laughs> that are completely contrary to what God would say about you um, we also have in our society we're we're real big on um, we kind of shame emotions. So the classic one is boys don't cry, you know. So if you're a boy and you start to cry, oh, you know, you that that's kind of a shameful thing. Or um, sometimes we compare people, you know, little Johnny and little Jackie, and why can't Johnny be more like Jackie? And you know why? And and there's that comparison, and and we're kind of heaping shame on them. Um, Sometimes it can be a criticism or ridicule from authority figure or a teacher or a coach. Somebody says something, and you take it, and you believe it as your identity. Um, and one of the biggest, well, one, one another big offender is the church. The church has dealt out a lot of judgment, a lot of you know, superiority on people, a lot of, I'm better than you, and you should, if you want to, you have to be like, or whatever. And so we have to be really careful as Christians to um, watch how we treat people and what we say to people. Um, Now, for me, I have, um, I have um, struggled with this shame, fear, control cycle, and as I was preparing, I have lots of examples, but I was like, lots. Um, so I was like, well, what, which one? <laughs> like, what? Well, I went back, and I, and I started, you know, just asking God, so which one? What, what do I want to share about? Well, the very first one was when I was in third grade, which is interesting because we used to have um, someone who, who I love dearly used to um, be on the pastoral staff here, Stephanie, or, Sarah, um, also has a third grade story, and I didn't realize that mine was third grade too, but I, I figured it out. Uh, I was in third grade, and this is back, I'm kind of old, this is back when they let parents walk into the schools and take your kids out of class, and I'm sure they checked into the office, but now, you know, you can't even walk past the front door because of lockdown and all the rest, the rest of the stuff, but anyway, so my dad came into my classroom, 
and it was taking me to go get my glasses or to get my eyes checked or something. I, get, I was getting headaches. I couldn't see the board and whatever. And he said my name and told me to come. Now, some of you know, most of you know, but some of you might not know, my dad is deaf. He's profoundly deaf. And so his speech is um, obviously affected, and he doesn't speak very, I, I understand him, but most people, it takes a little while to figure out what he's saying. Anyway, um, I believed, and for a long time I believed this, and it, but as I was remembering, I think probably the truth is I was walking to the door, and somebody said, why does he talk so funny? And somebody else saying, oh, he's deaf and dumb. And at that time, that was starting to be the um, not said as much anymore. We didn't call people deaf mutes or deaf and dumb anymore. We, we were kind of backing off it. But, but there were still plenty of people who did. And in my heart, and what I believed for a long time was, all those kids think my dad is, is stupid, and he talks weird. And I, I remember just the feeling of, and, and so I, I really think probably the enemy came in and just was like, oh, you should be ashamed of him. You shouldn't talk. And I remember spending years, spending years making sure that nobody knew who my dad was and not letting them see my dad. You know my dad. You know he is awesome. And not just because I think so. Because he really is amazing. He's an amazing man. And to think that I was ashamed of him for so many years because of some comment that was made, you know. And, and maybe the kid did say it in a nasty way. It didn't matter because my heart hurt it that way. It could have been said in the most right way or the most wrong way. My heart still hurt it. And I spent years trying to cover that up. But then, and I'm sure things didn't get any better because I ended up getting glasses, and so I walked back into school, and now I was four eyes, and, and you know, kids are just, whew. So, you know, on and on it goes. That began my shame-fear-control cycle, and for me, I responded out of it by trying to be perfect. Well, has anybody ever tried that? doesn't work so good. And so what happens is you try to be perfect. You try to control things so that nobody will think you're not perfect, and maybe they'll like you, and then you end up going, oh, now I'm an utter failure. And so you try something else, and then you fail again. And then what you really need well, at the end of the day is comfort. Only you can't go, you, if you don't know where to get comfort from, you tend to go to sources that are not so helpful. So if you're living in that shame, fear, control cycle, it can lead to more sin. It can lead to addiction. It can lead to isolation. Um, you know, and, and addiction can be lots of things. It can be drugs and alcohol, but it also can be gambling, eating, shopping, exercising, working, being busy, codependency, and the list goes on. For me, it was rooted in perfectionism trying to control my life so I would look perfect, so people would think I was perfect, so we would be perfect, and, and then somebody would like me. And I met my first husband, and he was damaged, and I was damaged, and we thought we would fix each other, and we would help each other, and then we could be, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> That's not a good plan. <laughs> the only one that can provide that comfort is God. 
But when you're ashamed, you don't want to tell him, although he already knows, but where you're at, you know, just like Adam and Eve, the one who made them could, could take care of it, but they were hiding, and sometimes we hide from God. Um, that comfort, um, for me, I, I, I not only tried being perfect, but I tried um, promiscuity, and that led down a whole nother road of shame. And so what happens is you layer on top of the root shame, you, you, you put a block up, and then there's some other stuff that happens, and you put another block up, and then you put another block up, and now I'm, you know, I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing, and now I've got more shame, and then I'm doing more things that I shouldn't be doing, and now i got more shame, and now i got this wall, and now I'm walled in, and God can't get to me, and I can't get to him, or at least that's what it feels like. However, 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. God does that. He loves us perfectly, and he can get rid of the fear. He can step into that cycle, and he can break it. In John 8, 32, it says, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The goal is freedom. It's why Jesus died. He wants us to be free, free from shame, fear, and control, free from the enemy's lies, free from our um, misguided perceptions of our identity. He wants us to be free. Turn the page. Maybe. So freedom comes, whoa, down, I forgot down. Freedom comes through repentance. You know, Jesus went to the cross willingly and took our shame there. The things that we've done, he took to the cross and he nailed it there. He experienced, if you <laughs> research, the death that he experienced was a shameful death. They stripped him naked, they nailed him to a cross, they mocked him, they spit on him, they did all these things to shame him. He took everything to the cross, so we don't have to experience that. In Romans 5.8, God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got cleaned up. While we were still sinners, he went to that cross for us. In Hebrews 12 Two, it says, Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He is now seated on the place of honor beside God's throne. He left a place of all authority, came down, took our shame, put it on the cross to go back and say, it's finished. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. We are the epitome. It's not the little postcards that he practiced on. We are not the, the practice runs of, anybody done those charcoal drawings? You're supposed to like line draw this statue thing, and then, have you ever taken an art class, and you've had to do these, oh my gosh, and then you have to do it blind, you're not supposed to look, and you're supposed to draw these things. 
We are not that, okay? We are not his practice run. We are not. We are his masterpiece. We are the epitome of what he, he longed and hoped for. This is it. We are it. We are his masterpiece. And he created us. He was like, oh, wait, that fallen state, I don't want to leave you there. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to take that cross and make a way so that you can be new. You can be a new creation. You can be set free. The old is gone. The new has come. And you can do the things that you were destined to do. The gifts and talents that he put in you, you can carry out those plans that he has for you. You don't have to stay locked in shame. And you know, I was a Christian for a long time, and I didn't get it. I still thought I had to perform a certain way, or do a certain thing, or maybe Cameron would like me. That's the pastor of this church. Maybe he'd like me if I served a little bit more. Maybe if I did a little bit more. And it wasn't until one day that God said, I'm enough. It's not about you. You are my masterpiece. I created you. I love you. I'm enough. I'm honorable enough to give you honor. He is enough that he takes our shame and gives us honor in exchange. So, now to the practical things. So how do we overcome by the blood of the lamb. <laughs> um, we overcome by going to God and being transparent. You know, that separation in that, that relationship, we go to him and say, there's a breach. He already knows. I mean, spoiler alert, he already knows you messed up, okay? So you just go to him and you say, God, here it is. Or maybe it's a sin, a perpetual Maybe it's a sin, or maybe it's an addiction, or maybe it's a surface thing that you're covering that shame underneath, and you're like, why do I keep doing this? You ask him. He'll show you where it is. He'll show you that part in you that still doesn't quite believe that you are forgiven and set free. Your identity is in Christ. There's nothing that can stop that. If you're a believer, if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you are a new creation. End of story, period. There is nothing else. You are a new creation. So no enemy can lie to you about who you are. Your identity is in Christ. But we need to break off that shame. We need to say to the enemy, I do not agree with you. Um, and our model is Jesus. I'm going to go there. Oh, down, down. Okay. Um, our identity Jesus had his identity spoken to him in Matthew 3.17. When he went and got baptized, the heavens opened and the dove came down and God said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Done. This is it. That is the word spoken over him. Immediately after that, I'm not even sure why he took this, Satan comes in. Jesus is out in the desert. This is the next story. He's out in the desert. He's fasting. And Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Even Jesus. He comes up to Jesus and says, If you're the Son of God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? He's questioning who his identity is. He's saying, well, I'm not sure you really know who you are. Maybe he was testing to see how much power he had as in human form. I don't know. But he still, he did it again. He said, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down and let the angels catch you. If. 
There's that little, that little nagging. Has anybody ever done that to you? You know, ever had that little voice in the back of your head going, if, you know, maybe I'm not. That's the enemy. That's him trying to change your identity. And God, or Jesus responded with, it is written. This is what it says. This is what it says. And we have to do the same thing. We have to say, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ and I'm in Christ, I am a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Or Ephesians 2, 10, I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 1 Peter 2, 9, I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Galatians 3, 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You're a son. You're a son. That's who I am. Enemy comes to try and take that away from you. You say, uh-uh, I am a son. I'm a daughter. Uh, that's who I am. You can't take that away from me. And, and if there's a breach, if there's something that, that needs to be taken care of, you go immediately to God and you say, you know, guilt comes in, handle it right now. Don't let it fester. Don't let it stay a little while longer. Don't let the enemy turn it into a, a shame issue for you. Just immediately take care of that thing. Go to God. Say, here it is, God. And for, for shame, fear, and control, you go and you say, you know what? I've got this thing, and I'm ashamed of it. And God says, well, let's get rid of it. You say, you know what, God? I'm afraid. I'm afraid that this, this, and this. And he says, all right, let's get rid of it. Perfect love casts out fear. If you say, you know what, God, I keep kind of trying to control the situation. I really want control. And boy, do I struggle with that one. I have to go to God and say, oh, I'm trying to control again. Help me see. Think the world will still revolve on its axis without me controlling it. Well, yes, it really does. <laughs> you, you have to go to him and say, these are what I'm struggling with. He will, he will break it off you. And you renounce it. You forgive you forgive yourself for believing those lies. You forgive people who spoke them out to you. And then you find out the truth. In worship today, we say, I know my place. I know my name. You've called me to great things. We need to know what our name is. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We need to confess those things. And then we need to change our inner dialogue. When the enemy comes and tries to tempt you to think that way again, you need to say, uh-uh. No, I know who I am. Speak out the truth like Jesus did. It is written. This is what the book says. This is what God says about me. And when we start to change, man, there's freedom. There's freedom. And when I misstep, if I do fall, if I do sin, I know exactly where to get my hope from. I know exactly where to get my... my um, where I can get forgiven, and then I can go on, and I can be doing the things that he's called me to do. I can fulfill my destiny. The enemy is trying to thwart that, and then once I know who I am, I can be honorable and extend honor to others. I can go out and call the dry bones to life. I can go out and speak to others out of an honor that God has given me, and I can share that with someone else. And that is so important, church. We do not realize how powerful our tongues are. You have the power of life and death is in the tongue. 
That's what Proverbs says. You were created in God's image. God spoke the word and the world came into existence. When we speak, things happen. So what are you speaking? Are you speaking honorable things? Are you calling people out? Or are you heaping on shame? Mm. You know, and I'm not saying it because I do it well. I have been called to task by God, especially preparing for this, amazingly. You know, what we speak, it has power. That little boy didn't know he had power when he spoke whatever he said about my dad. You know, we speak things out. There's power in your tongue. You need to be careful how you wield it. When I was at that, that, um, that the memorial yesterday, I was thinking about honor, and I was thinking about how we were honoring my aunt. But you know what? My cousins, her two sons, their honor was shining through. My aunt, you know, she um, was an amazing woman. She didn't um, win a Congressional Medal of Honor. She didn't, you know, reach any high, you know, she didn't find a cure for some disease or whatever. But the honor that my cousins showed her just, just revealed to the people who didn't know her that she was honorable. We need to be doing that for each other. We need to be the church that rises up and says, you know what, these dry bones, let's speak them to life. Let's not heap on shame. People out in the world who are in places that they shouldn't be doing, living ways that they shouldn't be, let's speak out what their destiny really is. Not you're headed for hell, but hey, you were meant for heaven. When we speak that out, Man, we can watch people come alive, and it works. When you speak out shame on someone, you can see their spirit dwindle. When you speak out love, you can see them light up. And just try it. Try it with somebody you don't even know. Try it with someone you do know. Try it with someone that people will want to throw away and see what happens. So, <laughs> so we have a choice. We can be honorable or we can stay in shame. And it really is a choice. I really, if there's something, I'm, we're going to pray here in a minute. If there's something that you feel like, man, I just can't get rid of this thought or I'm just really struggling with this thing, I would encourage you to pick up those papers and just walk through it and see what area God would like to heal in your life, what area he wants to heal in your heart so that you could be set free and that you can start going and unlocking the doors of the cages that other people are in. Because that's what we're to do. This inward journey helps us to have that outward journey, that we can go and reach people, and that is something that God's called us to do, every one of us. Okay, so I'm going to close with, um, having ask, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and um, just pray with me. So, Father, I just, I'm going to take a moment, and I just thank you. I just thank you for the cross. Thank you that you made a way. That you didn't want to leave us in a fallen state, but you wanted to redeem us. That you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. I just thank you for that, Father. I just thank you that you love us so much. That you love every part about us that you want us to fix everything in our lives. You want to help us be free from things that are binding us. 
So right now, Father, I just ask that you would just reveal to people here that if there's an area that they've been tripped up by or they've been caught in a shame-fear-control cycle, if there's an area that they've really not experienced freedom in, would you just show it to them today that they'd be able to get free because you paid the price.